one constant through all the years, Ray. It's been beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet face. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. From the BTG Studios in Rochester, New York, this is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson. Joining me is the best producer in the entire state for faith-based sports talk radio, Zach Barletta. Beyond the Game is on Twitter, at BTG Program. If you're a regular listener, then you already know that. We welcome you into another broadcast of the number one faith-based sports talk radio program in all of New York State. And if you're just joining us for the first time, we thank you. Hope you enjoy the program. You can find out more information about what we're all about at our website, btgprogram.com. And you can listen to previous broadcasts all right there. Once again, that's btgprogram.com. Joe West, Zach, is a senior umpire, the most senior umpire in all of Major League Baseball. His employer was recently, he was suspended by his employer, I should say, for comments he made about future Hall of Famer Adrian Beltre, according to a report in USA Today, which was intended to coincide with West's 5,000, 5,000 regular season game as an umpire. West was asked who was the biggest complainer in the game. His answer was, quote, it's got to be an Adrian Beltre. Then he added, every pitch you call, that's a strike. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I had a game with him recently, and the pitch was right down the middle. He tells me the ball is outside. West also added, I told him, you may be a great ball player, but you're the worst umpire in the league. You stink. Now, you may like Joe West. You may not. You may question his ability as a major league umpire after these many years, and some do. But just remember, this is a guy who's been doing it since 1976. He knows a little bit about what he's doing to suspend a guy for saying that. For, for all, maybe it's true. Maybe Eldrin, Adrian Beltre is the biggest complainer in the game. But I feel like Joe West has said and done a lot worse than that. This <laughs> seems like, this seems really strange to be like the thing that finally gets him suspended. I, it just seems, Major League Baseball is saying that the suspension is warranted due to an appearance of a lack of impartiality. And the Umpires Association contends that joking interactions between umpires and players are a routine part of the game. We disagree strongly with the decision to punish Joe West simply for sharing a humorous exchange for a player. Now, that that seems a little bit easier. Oh, we were just kidding. You know, that seems like a really light, kind of weak explanation for it. Isn't that everybody's excuse? Yeah, oh, I was just kidding. We're just we're laughing enough. But... In my opinion, this is heavy-handed because Major League Baseball, I think they're out of line here. My disappointment is 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 that it doesn't appear as though they even fairly considered all the circumstances. It would not it would not appear that baseball consulted Beltre. Beltre said, "I don't think that it was necessary to suspend him. Obviously, I know that he was kidding, and after it happened a couple of weeks ago, he came back home and I asked him exactly what happened and he told me he was just kidding with the reporter." He added, I play around with him. This is Beltre added, I play around with him. He plays around with me. I didn't think it was a big deal. I'm sad that it happened. 
Even Rangers, Rangers manager Jeff Bannister, he had no blame for West. He says, there's no part of me that would ever think that any person, especially Joe West, would be partial to anything. Now, it just seems to me that baseball could have reprimanded him, maybe even released a statement saying that they're disappointed in his quote and that they feel that they lacked impartiality. But suspending a guy seems a bit much to me. Especially, we've talked about on the show, some of the outrageous things that umpires have done this season, <clears throat> Angel Hernandez, and yeah. not been suspended for, not even been warned, nothing. And here Joe West gives a magazine interview and gets a three-game suspension. It's really strange. It is. A rough week this past week in terms of people passing away in the sports world and, yeah. and really the celebrity. And I, I feel a, a little weird saying something like that because, of course, I'm talking about deaths of people that are, are well-known. Certainly, if anyone listening lost someone dear to them, well, the passing of a celebrity is no more significant than your loss. And to you, we extend our condolences, but we also extend them to the family of baseball legend Don Baylor, yeah. a member of a number of teams, including the Yankees, a great player. I think he still holds the record for most times hit by a pitch, if I'm not mistaken. Also passing away was former Phillies great Darren Dalton. Hard to think of any player who played with more grit, played harder than Dutch did. This guy... He was a hard ball player, hard-nosed ball player. To the Pete Rose he, for sure. He really was. And country music legend Glenn Campbell passed away this week as well, a favorite of mine. His music often gave me occasion to recall my grandmother, who she she loved Glenn Campbell. She really enjoyed his music, especially his hit Galveston. Galveston, oh Galveston, I still hear you see. What a voice, Glenn Campbell, with a number of hits crossing over into success on the contemporary charts. Glenn Campbell passing away this week. And add to that list on Wednesday of this past week, former Major League umpire, Rochester's very own, Ken Kaiser passed away this week at 72. Kaiser had dealt with diabetes for a number of years, was in poor health over the last few years, even telling us as much when he came on our show a while back. You might recall he was... Mm-hmm talking to us off the air about not feeling well, some things that he was dealing with, and there was a whole list of medical issues he was dealing with. Kaiser was certainly a colorful personality, regardless of how you felt about him as an umpire. He was he was a personality. That's for sure. What I enjoyed most about my conversation with him is those great stories mm-hmm. that he told. He had so many, and he told them so well. And he doesn't it, hold back at all. No, he loved to tell good baseball stories, and he was so easy to laugh with. Mm-hmm. We laughed a lot. He grew up here in Rochester's 19th Ward, became a big league umpire in 1977, working two World Series and an all-star game before being part of a group of umpires who resigned in 1999 as part of a labor negotiation ploy. While most of those umpires were hired back, Kaiser was one of 13 who was not hired back, and by his own account and many others, basically gambled and lost. Mm-hmm. You know, he lost his job on a on a move that backfired on. And while while he was working as a minor league umpire before he had broken into the big leagues, he supplemented his income by working as a professional wrestler. He was known as the Hatchet. That was until the mask he wore. I don't remember the story if it ripped or if it came off, but either way, he was recognized by a fellow umpire. I, I, if I don't, if I remember right, it was Eric Gregg. But if you recall, Zach, like he. And maybe Kaiser was being polite, but he said he liked talking with us because 
we knew our stuff and he called us students of the game. And, and like I said, he might have been being polite. Maybe he says that to everybody. But I appreciated that because coming from a guy who really did know his stuff, you know, he spent 23 years at the highest level of the game mm-hmm. doing what he does. The late Ken Kaiser passing away this week. He heard the gospel many times from his good friend, Ted Barrett, worked on the same umpiring crew for many years. I'm hopeful that somewhere along the line he responded in his heart to that message to the family, the loved ones of Ken Kaiser. We offer our most sincere condolences. Coming up on today's show, what in the world is going on at Old Miss? And specifically regarding Hugh Freeze, who resigned several weeks ago as head coach after it was revealed that he made a one-minute phone call to an escort service. Is that enough for a coach to quit his job? Enough to be fired over? Doesn't it seem like there's got to be more to it than that? I'm sure there is. We'll talk about that. And because Freeze is a man of faith, does a person's misstep such as this, should it be true, does that discount all that they've said or done for the cause of Christ? That and a whole lot more coming up. I hope you'll stick around. We'll try to encourage you, leave you with some thoughts from God's Word as they apply to these sports stories. I'm Rick Benson, along with Zach Barletta. We'll be back right after this. My name's Kirk Cameron, and uh, together with Warren Barfield, we are putting on an incredible event that is designed to fireproof marriages. Maybe you saw the movie Fireproof. Maybe that resonated in your heart and in the heart of your church and your community. Well, this event, in essence, takes the movie and turns it into a live experience. We want to pull down as many barriers and walls that would separate us from coming together around the gospel for the sake of building up our marriages and our families. If we're concerned about the future of the church, we've got to heal the family, and it's got to be done in a gospel-centered way. That's what Love Worth Fighting For is all about. Feed Your Faith presents the Love Worth Fighting For marriage event, Saturday, August 26th, 7 p.m. at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton. Visit loveworthfightingford.com. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of unsolved mysteries, mythical monsters, murder whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, the Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program, mixing sports with faith. We want to take a moment and welcome in those who may be listening from Oceanside, California, not far from Camp Mendleton, Pendleton Marine Base. To all of you Marines there and service people serving everywhere, we thank you for your courage, your bravery, and service to our great country. Mm-hmm. Oceanside, California is where they start off for the annual 3,000-mile 3,000-mile bicycle race, Zach, Race Across America. Starts from Oceanside, California. It's also the home of the annual Beach Soccer Championships. 
Oceanside California joins fans of the program in England, Japan, and Germany who downloaded last week's podcast. You can visit our website, btgprogram.com. Find us on iTunes or Google Play. Subscribe to the podcast. Have it sent directly to your device. The beautiful Denise Richards, graduating from El Camino High School in Oceanside after moving to that area as a teenager. We just watched the Friends episode yesterday that she was in. It's funny that her name came up again. Same high school which produced former NFL cornerback Michael Booker. You may recall Booker played for the Atlanta Falcons for a while. Mm -hmm. Kansas City Royals right-hander Trevor Cahill was born in Oceanside, as was the late Hall of Famer San Diego Charger Jr. Seau. Though a native of Dayton, Ohio, his family moved there and graduating from Oceanside High School was none other than former Yankees first baseman Chris Chambliss, who hit that dramatic pennant-winning home run for the Yankees in Game 5 of the American League Championship Series back in the 70s. If you've seen the video, you saw thousands of people storming the field. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much so that he was it, it encumbered his ability to round the bases, and he made no such attempt to touch home plate. He just ran into the dugout looking for the safety of the dugout, the clubhouse. The story goes that it was third baseman Craig Nettles. He asked whether or not Chris Chambliss had touched home plate, and he said, the umpire was there actually waiting for you. So to make things official, he was escorted back out on the field to touch home plate, only to find out home plate had been stolen. It was no <laughs> longer there. And as a result of all that chaos, Major League Baseball actually changed the rules to allow umpires to award a base if that situation, if a runner is encumbered by fans rushing the field. If you're listening from Oceanside, California, we welcome you this morning, wherever it is that you may be listening from. Thanks so much for being, for being with us. You know who else actually is from Oceanside? He played the mandolin in Nickel Creek, Chris Thiele. And, and though he's, he's known for his time in Nickel, Nickel Creek, in October of 2016, he took over for the great Garrison Keeler as host of the weekly Prairie Home Companion radio program. One of my very favorite radio shows. I was my, say, this sounds right up your alley. It, it is. My wife and I had a chance to be in the audience for a broadcast a few years ago. It was Keeler's uh, farewell tour. So we got to see him right here at uh, Finger Lakes, CMAC, Canandaigua, whatever they call that now. It was just terrific. Like many of the movies I see, even at 50 years old, I was among the youngest people in the audience. <laughs> My wife slightly more so because she's a couple years younger than I, but uh, Chris Feely from Oceanside. Charles Barkley once famously said that he's not a role model in a, in a sense of, of course he is. He's a role model. When given such a platform as pro athletes have, like it or not, there will be those who admire, those who look up to them, and therefore they're role models. They may not have asked for that. They may not have even wanted that. But involuntarily or not, they've got it. But the other side of what Barkley was saying is that he knows he can't measure up as he ought, or maybe even as he would like. So, And he doesn't want that responsibility of being a role model. It doesn't change the fact that you have that responsibility. But I, I get what he's saying. The best role model for any child, of course, is in their own home. Their parents can be the best or... Sometimes they can be the worst examples a young person will ever have. And though not as powerful as a parent, coaches, teachers, youth leaders, they're all tasked with 
some degree of a very great responsibility in being a role model to young people. But what Barclay seemed to acknowledge is that when you when you place a man in a position to be of, of that of a role model, in many ways you're setting them up for a failure, which is probably why he's look, I'm not a role model. I don't want any part of it. I don't want to be set up to fail. The Bible gives us a fairly stark reminder of this in Micah chapter 7, verse 5, which says, Do not trust in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a friend. From her who lies in your bosom, guard your lips. Look, there's, don't trust man. They're going to let you down. People are sinners. They're going to mess up. They're going to let you down. We, we, we all have to be careful to not pile on when somebody is down. We don't want to be too critical. After all, we have our own issues. You know, we have mm-hmm. our own faults to deal with. So when somebody falls, we need to be real careful about how hard we're going to pile on. I remember it was shortly after uh, a well-known faith magazine. He did a full spread on then Baylor head coach Art Bryles. And it was shortly after that his football program came under fire. And, of course, everything went down there. Now, I want to be careful in saying that the magazine wasn't overstating Bryles or making him out to be something that he wasn't. It was just sort of unfortunate timing. Here was a a, a good man up as far as anybody knew and, and probably is a good man but he made some mistakes there, and he had some problems, and he messed up. People will mess up. Bryle seemed like, like many, like many people in our everyday walks of life, seemed to be a good man who just simply messed up. There's great truth in that that bumper sticker, Zach, that, you know, the one that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's great truth in that. This situation at Ole Miss regarding recently resigned head coach Hugh Freeze is yet another example of Troubling behavior from a man who had been very outspoken about his faith. I follow Freeze on social media. I'm a fan of what he stands for. I, you know, I'm, I'm always careful to raise a man too high because at the end of the day, he's a sinner. Like you are, like I am. He needs the same saving grace of God that you and I need. And the reason I bring this up is twofold. I think it's important, as I sort of alluded to a minute ago, to be careful how harsh you are when you criticize somebody when they fall. You know, life has a funny way of humbling you when it becomes your turn and things turn around and people are criticizing you. I think you want to tread a little lightly. Whenever we're offering correction, whenever we're sizing up a situation, we need to do it in context of Scripture, looking at what the Bible says, because it's too easy to let our emotions get in there and sort of interfere and influence how we feel about a situation. It clouds our judgment. Instead of what we should do, analyzing something based on what God's Word says, we easily find ourselves telling people what we think or what we would do. And if we're basing our views on Scripture, well, then we can't go wrong. That's what we need to do. But the other thing I want to point out, there's no fall so great that God can't help us out of it. Mm-hmm. When we've tripped, when we've fallen, it's an opportunity to tell, to tell how God picked us up and put those pieces back together. With humility, we praise God for his healing, his redemption, and his transforming power. There's a lot of details still out there. We don't know what really took place at Old Miss. Much more will be forthcoming, I'm sure. One big question at the center of things is a USA Today report that revealed that a one-minute call, a one-minute phone call, was made in 2016 from Freeze's university-issued cell phone to a number that's associated with a female escort service. 
Friesus claimed that was just simply a misdial, but the university has said since that they have found a sort of concerning pattern when it looked further into his phone records. And certainly that's very troubling for a man that is so outspoken about his faith. Can you explain a one-minute phone call to an escort service? Paul Feinbaum is a college football reporter, a talk show host. He said earlier this week, I really don't believe that the firing of Hugh Freeze had very much to do with one misdialed phone call to an escort service. If you had to hold truth, it had less to do with that and more to do with something else. That seems to make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Mississippi Athletic Director Russ Bjork said that after some internal digging, it was a pattern of personal misconduct that moved him to Fire Freeze had Freeze not voluntarily resigned. Bjork added that at the time of Freeze's resignation that he admitted as much of that conduct to them. It, it, it seems so out of character for a man who is so bold about his faith. But a one-minute phone call to an escort service would seem like very little to me for a university to press his coach to, this, to the point of resignation. That was my reaction as well. Very possibly is a misdial. Maybe it is. It, it That's easy to do. I just don't see any employer going to war with a one-minute phone call as the best weapon it has. So this, it doesn't make sense. There has to be more to it, which I'm sure we'll be hearing about as time goes on. But prior to Ole Miss, there are some curious allegations made against him while he was head coach at Briarcrest Christian School in Memphis. Much like the one-minute phone call to an escort service, things that well, they're just kind of strange. They're kind of misplaced. They're kind of weird. Things that amount to a he said, she said situation, which could have merit to them, or they could easily be explained away as just nothing more than awkward behavior. For example, one of the things was disciplining a young lady by spanking her with a paddle. Now, perhaps nothing sexual, but man, that's weird. Mm -hmm. That's certainly awkward. And with that as a possible background, if there are some merit to those claims, it certainly impacts how you view now this one-minute phone call to an escort service. If you don't know anything about that Briarcrest history, okay, this seems out of place. Well, if you do know a little bit about that history, whether it's true or not, we don't know, but it sort of does now kind of make you go, hmm, you mm -hmm. know, this is different. Now, to be fair, for his part, Freeze has denied those allegations. He said in a statement to USA Today, these accusations are totally false. I can unequivocally say that during my time at Briarcrest Christian School, I handled disciplinary issues professionally and in accordance with the school's policy. Now, would it be unthinkable for a man who seems to have it together and would appear to be strong in the hate in, in the faith to have a problem with sexual temptation? No, it happens oh, all the time. Of course, you're right. The statistics on pornography usage within the church are staggering. Know this about Hugh Freeze, though, and it's true about me, and it's true about you. We're not perfect. We have dark areas of our lives, which maybe we've kept concealed, but we know they're difficult temptations for us. And the devil knows, knows those areas, too. And though we're not perfect, and though we may occasionally fall, this does not necessarily disqualify us from being used by God in a mighty way. We all have an opportunity to be forgiven. Hugh Freeze was on our friend Jason Romano's Sports Spectrum podcast recently. He talked about the struggle with sin nature. He specifically talked about a huge struggle when he was 18 to 20 years old, and it caused him to question his Christian faith. 
This is Hugh Free speaking. He says, it took me talking a lot with my mentors to really understand the battle with the sin nature will never go away. And it's only by God's grace that we can overcome that and with daily surrender to that. Now, since that podcast aired a couple weeks ago, Freeze has now talked to the media for the first time since stepping down at Ole Miss, and he told USA Today that God is good even in difficult times. That's the opportunity right there, that, that even in difficult times, even after having messed up, we can still give God the praise of which he is worthy. During the interview with USA Today, Freeze was told that people have expressed disappointment with how Freeze resigned, but they're standing by him to which Freeze would say, I, I would expect that. And yeah, I, w- I would be too, because there is some disappointment to that. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be careful about how hard you come down on a guy, knowing our own faults, but man, there is some disappointment there. I admire his standing there in the face of such a difficult situation. How many times have we seen guys with less integrity just sort of hide, deny, maybe lie their way through such time? Freeze told Romano on that Sports Spectrum podcast that integrity is not every single time doing what's right or no one would have it. I'm not sure who could raise their hand and say, you know, I've always every single time done everything exactly right. But integrity is when an issue arises and something is wrong. You acknowledge it, you address it, and you move forward from it. Now, again, there's more that there's certain to come out because as you and I both agree, Zach, that one minute phone call is not Mm-hmm. Boy, that's not a whole lot to go on. And I suspect that Freeze's name is going to be dragged through the mud some more, and I'm confident that the devil would have it that way. Obviously, the devil wants to uh, discredit his testimony for Christ, but the truth is it could end up being even more powerful for God's glory. And we might wonder how God could ever use such seemingly embarrassing and humiliating situation, and in our own strength, Maybe it would be so, but remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12.10, For when I am weak, then am I strong. The important thing is to remember that Freeze is a sinner in need of a Savior. And before you put your foot too firmly on his throat while he's down, Remember that you're a sinner, too, who is also in need of a Savior. And it's good to know that Freeze has found his Savior at the cross in Jesus Christ. But maybe you still have a need. Pastor Michael Catt is a friend of Freeze and said, I hurt for him, but he will always be my friend. True friends are the people who walk into the room when so-called friends walk out. All of us stumble. That's why we need Jesus to pick us up and friends to love us when we do stumble and fail. Folks, people are going to mess up. Go go easy, be fair. You can be firm, but be fair. Remember to treat them how you would like to be treated if you're in their shoes. And remember that God extends the same grace and forgiveness to you that he extended to Hugh Freeze. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you. And believe it or not, he still wants to do great things in your life. He still wants to use you. If you have not come to that place in life where you've thought about the forgiveness of sins and what consequence that may have after you die, then I hope you do that today. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, 
and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you want to be saved from your sins, ask God today to forgive you. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. Here is the Red Hawks Report for August 12, 2017. The Red Hawks Report being presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. We're just about two and a half weeks before the start of the soccer season for both the Red Hawks men's and women's teams. A soccer doubleheader coming up on Thursday, August 31st, as the women will take on Lemoyne College at 5 p.m., followed by the men hosting Lake Erie College at 7.30. Men's soccer coach Scott Reber announced this week the signing of Mateo Alexander to the incoming class of 2017. Alexander started at Allendale Columbia High School, where he was a three-time Finger Lakes All-Star and was named the Finger Lakes West Player of the Year in 2016. He was also a two-time State Cup champion. Alexander is a midfield forward who excelled academically, achieving both high honors and AP Scholar student. Though it seems late to be announcing signings for this year's incoming class, Alexander says, I had a last-minute change of mind and decided to stay closer to home. I felt as though Roberts was the best place to do that, with its strong sense of community, Christ-centered, and its newly introduced honors program. You can get all the news as it pertains to Roberts Wesleyan Athletics at their new website, robertsredhawks.com. Get scores, highlights, and more once again, robertsredhawks.com. That'll do it for the Red Hawks Report for this week, August 12, 2017. The Red Hawks Report is presented, as always, by Roberts Wesleyan College. Follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Red Hawks Report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game radio program from the BTG Studios in Rochester, New York. BTGprogram.com or at BTG Program. Last couple of weekends have been the Hall of Fame induction week, starting with baseball, followed by the NFL. And I've always contended, Zach, that, and it's probably because we live in New York, we're only a few hours from Cooperstown, and there's just, there's something special about the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, mm-hmm. and, of course, adding to that is my love of baseball. It really does. When you walk in, it kind of feels, not to be blasphemous, but it feels like holy ground, doesn't it? It does. Like a shrine. The baseball, certainly they're all special, you know, to be a great honor to be part of something like that. But the Baseball Hall, to me anyway, seems harder to get into. The mm-hmm. induction classes seem smaller. There's extra attention, and this I sort of like, extra attention given to that look of a Hall of Famer, somebody that just sort of feels like a Hall of Famer. There is statistical data, of course. And then thanks to Bill James, we have even more data and we evaluate that data more than we ever did before on players. And and baseball people love numbers. They love data. But there is something that 
well, it can't be described, at least not by me anyway, with my limitations of the language. There's no way to quantify exactly what it is. But in baseball, to me, more than other sports, there's approval given. You know, there's there's, there's this uh, general agreement that, yes, a certain player can have the look of a Hall of Famer. Perhaps part of it is the level of play, that, though the numbers don't significantly set a particular player apart. Uh, maybe, you know, sure, they'll probably have nice numbers, but that player could change the game. That player could sort of turn it on and dominate a game. Let me give you an example. This year, Tim Raines was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, a terrific player. He had some very strong numbers, none of which, though, that I think really, when you look at them on their own, you'd say, this guy belongs in the Hall of Fame based on his numbers. Now, again, he had some good numbers, but there isn't that 300-win season had he been a, a pitcher or the 500 home runs had he been a power hitter. But there are some things which stand out. I mean, he played 23 years. He had over 800 stolen bases, lifetime batting average of 294. But I think what really buoyed Rock into the Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame, when you look at him, he just, you look at him and he passes the eye test. He's a Hall of Famer. His speed and ability to get on base had an, an impact on the game. Any game he was in, you know, he could affect that game. I, I see Tim Raines, and, and I say, yeah, this guy belongs. He feels like a Hall yeah. of Famer to me. I think he clearly was one of the elite players of his generation. And I think that is one of the big qualifications for the Hall of Fame, is if your generation of players, were you one of the upper echelon? I think Tim Raines was. Yeah, I would agree. Although, if you look at his numbers, just by his numbers... Is that enough to make you a Hall of Fame? So I think baseball, more than the other sports, kind of rewards that look of a Hall of Famer. And with that in mind, I thought it'd be interesting to sort of look down the road and see where we, who we think will be inducted. Because there are a number of guys I think will be helped by Reigns' presence there. You know, that stamp of approval to this theory of putting guys who more than anything else have the look. And along that same lines, which guys in the years ahead will be uh, benefited from Ivan Rodriguez getting into the hall this year. Mm-hmm. Pudge has been suspected of PED usage, and though never admitted or confirmed, he was one of the guys named by Canseco, and like him or hate him, call him crazy or whatever you want, much of what ha- Canseco has said has been proven out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's hard to dismiss it at this point. Even Mike Piazza, last year getting in, maybe not as heavily suspected as Rodriguez, though those suspicions are there. His entrance to the hall last year may have opened the door. Maybe Rodriguez getting in this year opens it a little more. So what will that do for the other PED guys? And I think the first ones you think of are guys like Clemens and Bonds. So let me let me look give you this list, Zach. Let me give you a list of PED guys who – let's talk about who will get in. You got guys Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Rafael Palmero, Manny Ramirez, obviously other PED users, but I think these are the guys that are probably, you know, would be considered for the Hall of Fame had it been not for that. I think Clemens and Bonds gets in. Yeah. And they they both got over 50% of the vote this year. Clemens got 54%, Bonds got 53%. Um, You know, they're trending the right direction. And I think the farther removed we get from the steroid era, I think that um, they'll get more credit for the elite performers that they were and 
I think the PED thing will kind of fade into the past. I agree. I think what they accomplished early in their careers before the suspected PED use, PED use, it's just too great to ignore. These guys were Hall of Famers and prior I, I, to that. I think I was talking to you last week about a stat that I found that Barry Bonds walked more, had more career walks yeah. than Edgar Martinez had career hits. That's you know that's an amazing steroids figure. don't give you an eye like that. You know, no. like and even with all the intentional walks later in his career. He's an elite player. Same with Roger Clemens. He was an elite player before and after the drugs. So I think eventually that gets them into the Hall of Fame. I think they get in. I think it happens during a year when it would be um, a relatively small class. I'm thinking something like 2020 when unless there are carryover guys, guys that hadn't gotten in in previous years, Mm -hmm. uh, you're really only looking at Derek Jeter as, man, he's the only first ballot guy of that year that's going in. So unless you got some carryovers, I think that's probably the time they go Bonds and Clemens. But the flip side of that would be would voters put Jeter in with steroids guy? Would they taint would that taint Jeter? Would voters give any consideration to that? I don't think so. Again, because of the way their careers were early on. But I do give a little bit of pause and wonder, well, would they would they put Jeter in with those guys? I think that that would be the perfect time to do it, actually, because you have a guy who is sort of the squeaky clean face of baseball kind of guy in Derek Jeter. And if you put a steroid guy or two in with him, then the steroid guy isn't actually the headliner of the Hall of Fame class. Even if you're Barry Bonds and hey, you're, make a great point. you're the all-time home run leader with the asterisk, Derek Jeter is still the headliner of that class. Of that list, I think... Alex Rodriguez eventually gets in, as will Mark McGuire, and maybe even Manny Ramirez, but I think they were, they're all going to wait a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and it might even be a posthumous thing, where if one of them were to tragically pass away earlier than expected, that might, they might get a bit of a sympathy vote. A-Rod mm-hmm. was so divisive, unliked at times that, um, although that sentiment seems to be changing with him as a broadcaster. Yeah. I think he's one of the first to get in, to be honest, because He's doing so much damage control, so to speak, of he's, you know, people like him as an announcer. He's likable in the All-Star game. He's running around on the field with a microphone talking to guys and stuff. And he had that moment last postseason where he threw the football and broke the TV screen and everything. And (laughs) he's just kind of the lovable goofball right now. And I I really think that's going to work for him. I see no way Palmero or Sosa ever get in. I think their performance in front of the Senate hearing just did so much damage to them. That's exactly the point I was going to make. Is The the last time we saw Palmero, he was wagging his finger in everybody's face saying, I did not take steroids. And Sosa's claiming to not understand English. Right, and then he turned into Michael Jackson. So, you know, I I think both of those guys, and maybe even McGuire, I think they might not get in. I think McGuire eventually gets in. But let's turn the page. Talk about some guys who I think um, had the look and they'll get in, but let's see what you think. Jack Morris, Edgar Martinez, Mike Mussina, Kurt Schilling, Roy Halladay, Omar Vizquel. I think all those guys eventually get in. They uh, maybe don't have any dominant numbers, although with Halladay, you got two Cy Youngs and two runners up. You got Schilling, who was so clutch. Uh, Mike Mussina's 270 wins. I know they look at 300 as this. Mm-hmm. Magic number, but I, I think 275, 270, that, that might become yeah. that new 300 because 300 is going to be harder and harder to get to. Oh, absolutely. You know, guys aren't pitching as many innings. Games are being decided by the bullpens now. Um, I think, you know, 250, 275, somewhere in there, that is the new 300. And I think, I think Mucina gets in. I, I, 
Definitely not right away. I think he's going to have a longer wait, but I think he will eventually get in. Vizcal, I think, gets in just because of... 11 gold gloves. Yeah. You know, he was maybe a little above average with the bat. Nothing that you would be afraid of with the bat, but in the field, he was just so... You know, if Ozzy Smith gets in, if Phil Rizzuto gets in, Omar Vizcal yeah, gets in. Yeah, I, I agree with you. What about uh, Schilling, Mar- Edgar Martinez, Jack Morris? I, I think they all are in. Eventually, I think Morris and, and Schilling. Well, I don't know about Schilling. I don't know so that, clutch. I don't know that he did it long enough. But the, I think his postseason, maybe like Andy Pettit, his postseason. Mm-hmm. I think that'll eventually vault him in. I think Andy Pettit maybe. eventually gets in, but, but I, not for a while. Well, I think like what you were saying earlier is the Major League Hall of Fame is a pretty exclusive club. I don't know that a, a, a few, even a few postseasons like the crazy ones that he had. I don't know that that's enough when you look at the overall career that he had, but I could be wrong. And I'm kind of starting to change my mind on Edgar Martinez, believe it or not. I know I've been crusading for him to get in before Big Poppy for a long time, but doing my, my background uh, for this for this show, I just don't know what the numbers that he's got that they're... The one that stands out to me is batting three twelve mm-hmm. over 18 seasons. Which is remarkable. Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. I think... We, speaking for myself, I remember him as like the foremost DH of his era. You know, when I was growing up, he was in that Seattle lineup. He seemed to always get the big hit at the big moment and stuff. But looking at the career numbers, I don't know that they're enough, especially for a guy that didn't add any value with the glove because he was a DH most of the time. Well, that's why I put him in that group of guys that, man, they just have that look about them. You know, yeah. they feel like because the numbers by themselves, you wouldn't put him in. But let's talk about some locks. Guys, like next year you got Chipper Jones. Oh, yeah. I think that's a lock. Maybe even the first unanimous vote. And here's the thing that bothers me about that because there are. There are some voters that admittedly say, well, we don't think anybody should be unanimous, so we won't vote for the obvious ones sometimes. I think that's stupid. Right. If, if they're a Hall of Famer, vote Why would you not? If you can't vote... Who in the world would not vote for Greg Maddox? Yet there were people that didn't vote for Greg Maddox. I remember a few years ago, remember Jock Jones, the former Twins outfielder? Yeah. He got a Hall of Fame vote a few years ago. And I, I can't bring myself to believe that somebody really believed Jock Jones is a Hall of Famer. I really think that's just some reporter who didn't want to make a unanimous decision. And so, you know, you give a vote to some stupid guy because you have to be the... I, I don't even know. You have to be the jerk that won't let somebody be unanimous. This year, you got guy Edgar Renteria had two votes. Yeah, why? You're Jason Veritek had two votes. Yeah. Hall of Famers? Come on. No. My, my locks, Chipper Jones, Jim Tomei, uh, Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter, uh, Big Poppy, mm-hmm. Adrian Beltre, Suzuki, Pujols, Carlos Beltran, and Miguel Cabrera. I see these guys as all locks. I think I'm with you. I think for me, Beltran might be questionable, but I think on reputation, he gets in. I think one of the significant things that helps him is the amount of runs scored combined with the amount of runs knocked in. Mm-hmm. That's significant. He's one of very few players that have 1,500 of each. It's a, I, I think he eventually gets in. But let's look at one more group as we're running out of time in this segment. But guys that are still playing, uh, guys that uh, – Maybe you're on their way. I'm going to go down a list of guys, and, and you can either tell me. Now, obviously, there's no way to know how a career turns out. You know, when an, a significant injury might rob them of the opportunity to kill building that resume. Maybe like a Don Mattingly, mm-hmm. who I think is back 
ended up robbing him of resume building years. But here, you tell me on these guys, they're either in or out, both of which, which mean the case is closed or it's already decided, or, or a third option. They're on the way, which would indicate they, they need to keep doing what they're doing. And again, we can't foresee an injury. But a guy like Dustin Pedroia, I think he's on his way. I don't think it's a case one way or the other. If he got injured now and could not continue, he's probably he out. Yeah. But if he keeps doing what he's doing, mm-hmm. I think he probably gets in. Justin Verlander. I think he's done enough already. I think so. I think just in even what we've seen him do now that he's starting to get into those decline years, he's still good enough that I think he could pile up the numbers that he needs to get there. Buster Posey. Yeah, I think so. I think if you, you think at, already it's decided. I think if you look at the numbers of the catchers who we just saw elected, like Pudge and Piazza, I think, and his name starts with a P, like those guys. So I think he's basically <laughs> all set to go. See, I've got him in the on the way category. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, I've got in. Absolutely done enough already. Madison Baumgartner, on the way. On the way, I would agree. David Price, no, I got him out too. Craig Kimbrell. See, I've got him in. He's been very, very good. But, I mean, how many relievers are in the Hall of Fame? I, I Maybe Mariano Rivera getting in there sort of opens the door. But I think you have to be an all-time elite talent to make it in as a relief pitcher. Well, I think Trevor Hoffman gets in probably next year. I think yeah, he's a guy that's... That's true. The next few years, we'll see. Let um, me give you two more that I think are interesting. Mike Trout. Would you put him in already or yes. on the way? If yes. he got hurt right now, you think he's done enough to get in? I think so. See, I disagree. I think he's sort of on the way. But Giancarlo Stanton, would you say in or on the way? On the way. I I would agree. Joey Votto, one more. In. In. I I see, Zach, we agree on more than he we He doesn't don't. get the credit because he plays on a bad team in Cincinnati. But if you look at you're the numbers that he puts right. up year after year, he's amazing. You're absolutely right. Hey, we want to thank you for listening. If you have an opinion on any of these lists that we just went through, we'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Tweet us at BTG Program or send us an email, hosts at btgprogram.com. With Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game Program. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. My name is Kirk Cameron, and uh, together with Warren Barfield, we are putting on an incredible event that is designed to fireproof marriages. Maybe you saw the movie Fireproof. Maybe that resonated in your heart and in the heart of your church and your community. Well, this event, in essence, takes the movie and turns it into a live experience. We want to pull down as many barriers and walls that would separate us from coming together around the gospel for the sake of building up our marriages and our families. If we're concerned about the future of the church, we've got to heal the family, and it's got to be done in a gospel-centered way. That's what Love Worth Fighting For is all about. 
Feed Your Faith presents the Love Worth Fighting For Marriage Event, Saturday, August 26, 7 p.m. at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton. Visit loveworthfightingfor.com. Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view, highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. Welcome back to the show, recording in the BTG Studios in Rochester, New York. Here is your host, Rick Benson. Benson Abarletta, joined by you here on the Beyond the Game program. Zach, what are you going to store for us for this week's shenanigans statements? While it was awesome to watch Austin Jackson's amazing catch against the Red Sox a few days ago, shouldn't have counted because his entire body went over the outfield fence. I agree. It shouldn't have counted. I see two problems with it. The first one being, how does anyone know he made the catch? He could have dropped it, picked the ball back up while he was out of sight. Now, I don't think that was the case, but if a player goes over the wall, they take it the ball with them, what I mean, it, it's aren't you carrying the ball out of play? Isn't it the same thing as simply jumping over the other side of the fence and catching it over there? I agree. I don't think it should have counted. I looked it up, and apparently the rule states that as long as you originally catch the ball while you're on the field side of the fence, then you can continue over the fence and it counts as a catch. But I really don't like that. I'm with you. I feel like the ball comes to a stop on the other side of the fence. That's a home run. So I, I have to agree with you. I don't think that should have counted. Yeah, not in my mind. I, I just think if you, you if you carry it over, well, you know, you carried it out of play. Yeah, the ball's over there. It's a home run. Yep. All right, truth or shenanigans. More pro sports teams are going to copy the New England Patriots and start buying their own team airplanes. I agree, but this is semantics because of how you phrase the statement. You said more teams, so even if it's just one, I guess technically that would be more. I, pro sports is a copycat mm-hmm. operation, yeah. and if somebody's successful with something, others are going to do it. So if the Patriots end up being successful and they end up saving money, making money, putting more money in their budget, other teams are going to do it. But I, I'll tell you, boy, that's a tall order. I, I'm not sure all teams can afford to do that. And I'm not sure all teams would want that responsibility. Aren't you opening up a whole bunch of liability issues? If yeah, I, I think you just want to charter a plane and be done with it. But we'll see how it goes. But I agree. I think more teams will actually try it. I think so, too. Um, not only is it a copycat league, but there are a lot of owners with big personalities that if the other owner has a plane, I have to have a plane, too. Um, I think of maybe Jerry Jones, you know, right <laughs> off the bat. You know, I, I saw a, a, a meme today online that said that uh, Jerry Jones responds to Robert Kraft by buying a space shuttle to fly the Cowboys on. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to see stuff like that where there's going to be some guys that have to buy a plane just because the Patriots it's, have a plane. What is it? Alaska Airlines. It's got the face on, on the tail fin. Jerry Jones will have one on the Cowboys <laughs> jet. Uh, sticking with football. Signing Jay Cutler makes the Dolphins better. What do you think? Are they better? No. <laughs> If they're lucky, they'll break even. I really think Matt Moore is a better quarterback for the Dolphins than than Jay Cutler. And it's not just because Jay Cutler looks stoned all the time and looks stoned in his press conference. And when they asked him why he came to Miami, he didn't say that he wanted to come to Miami. He said that his wife really thought it was a good idea and everything. So he doesn't sound super excited to be there. But they played well for Matt Moore when he was a starter at the end of the season. He's cheaper than Jay Cutler. 
He doesn't have the history of turnovers that Jay Cutler has. Um, and he's been with the team for a while. So personally, I would have signed a cheap backup and let Matt Moore be the starter, but nobody asked me. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a head scratcher. Uh, you know, I, I say shenanigans. The Dolphins aren't better. I think it's hard to criticize Cutler for not seeming excited because he never does. He's just mm-hmm. that, that's who he is, but they're certainly not better than. Um, I, I agree with you with Matt Moore. I'm not convinced that Cutler was a better option than Colin Kaepernick. Now, I get it that he's got a relationship with Adam Gase, and there's some familiarity there. But, um, boy, at this stage of their careers, I like the potential of catching lightning in a bottle with Kaepernick, who seems to have something to prove, obviously has something to prove. But because of the relationship Cutler and Gase already have, that, that move makes sense to me too, but not more so than sticking with the guy you already have there, and that being Matt Moore, they would, uh, no, they're not better. And that is the one positive too. If we're, we're going to give the whole story, Adam Gase has coached Jay Cutler before. He knows him pretty well. So if Adam Gase thinks he needs Jay Cutler, then what do I know? Maybe he needs Jay Cutler. But from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like that smart of a Yeah, you like to work with guys you know, you guys that you have a relationship with, and guys that are familiar with your system. And while I think Kaepernick at this stage of the career has probably got more potential, more upside, Cutler's had a nice career. He's had a very good career. Um, and you add that ad- added bonus of being familiar with Adam Gase. I, yeah, look, it's a Dolphins decision, I think, you know, you got to respect their right to make that decision, and though I think they made the wrong one. As a Bills fan, I'm very happy to see Jay Cutler with the Dolphins. <laughs> Speaking of the Bills, let's keep it in the AFC East. The Buffalo Bills had a first-round grade on linebacker Reggie Ragland in last year's NFL draft, and were thrilled when he fell to them in the second round. But he missed the season with an injury, and now in Sean McDermott's new defense, reports say that he's not a good fit, he's been demoted, is no longer a starter, and could be traded. So truth or shenanigans... The Bills should trade Reggie Ragland before he even plays in an NFL game for them. I'm interested to hear what you think on this. I say no. Um, And I was on the trade Ragland bandwagon before the draft to try to move up in draft capital. But at this point, other teams haven't seen him healthy in a game yet. I just don't know that you're going to get back the value of the second round pick that you spent on him. So at this point, keep him around, let him play, let him prove that he's healthy, and maybe you can make that move later on. I'm actually going to dis- with, disagree with you and agree with the statement that they should trade him because I think so much on every sports team, no matter what sport it is, depends on the fit of the players. It's not uncommon to see strong players, good players, who are not able to excel at their positions, reach their potential because they just don't fit in that particular system. Now, I can't tell you. I don't know Raglan well enough. I couldn't tell if he's a good fit or not. But if the reports are accurate that he's not, then I think the Bills can tell enough from practices to know maybe we should move him. And as a follow-up, maybe there is an advantage uh, coming at it from a different angle to trading him before he gets in a game because right now what you're trading is potential. Everybody's aware of his potential from their draft reports that they've done on him. Mm-hmm. Once he's played some games – well, now you got game history, and maybe he gets exposed and lessens his value as a trade chip. And the Bills do have a record of success. I look at just a couple years ago when they made that trade of Kelvin Shepard for Jerry Hughes. Both of them were high draft picks that really didn't pan out. They both got into a change of scenery, and Jerry Hughes has worked out pretty well for the Bills. So maybe you're right. Maybe that can happen again. 
Last but not least, UCLA quarterback Josh Rosen was correct when he said, quote, football and school don't go together. Why don't you go first once again? Yeah, he's right. You know, I think about how yeah, hard how hard it was for me to get through school just doing school and having a girlfriend, you know, like let alone having to go to all the practices, learn the playbook, travel with the team, all of that resp- this responsibility of being a quarterback. You know, he's absolutely right. It, it's got to be extremely difficult and it probably they could find a better way to do it. Yeah, I, I agree too. I, I mean, let me clarify, which is a consideration Rosen wasn't given. I, I, I think it's difficult for some, maybe not all, but some players to excel at both, especially the college football game today where so much is involved, so much money. The game's so complex. Victories are so important. And it might be some are better at multitasking than other people. And it might be easier for a lineman, not minimizing what a lineman does, but you're talking the quarterback of UCLA. He's got a lot on his plate. Uh, I'm not saying it's right. I I don't know that it is, but I think it'd be very difficult for him to multitask all that he has, be a good football player, be a good student. I agree. I don't think it does go together. I'd like to talk more about it. We're not going to have time this week, but I'd like to talk about Maybe we'll bring it up again next week because football and school – I think that might be a lot to handle in today's college football environment for sure. to be able to do both successfully. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. What I like this week, and, and I'll tell you, to explain the incredible journey of former NFL quarterback Kurt Warner, one has to acknowledge the work of God in the life of one of those who does indeed love him. Kurt Warner, who came to the NFL via the Arena League, then became a Super Bowl champion and MVP with the Rams, would make another Super Bowl appearance by leading the Arizona Cardinals to that franchise's only Super Bowl. Warner was inducted this week into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What I like this week is Hall of Fame speeches by Warner and even by LaDainian Tomlinson, who spent a great deal of time thanking God for his many blessings. But it was especially the speech of Kurt Warner, who invoked the name of Jesus, that I like. Quote, and the only place this extraordinary journey can end, said Warner, his final moment was for me. Mine is for him. Thank you, Jesus. There is something special about the name of Jesus. Kurt Warner's faith for Christ and his place among the all-time greats in Canton. Well, that's what I like this week. You like that? You like that? What I like this week is the Little League World Series. Um, There's already been some some highlight moments. I'm sure you've seen some of them, Benson. There was that kid that hit the gigantic Monstrous. home run into the trees. They said that was measured around 375 feet. That's a big <laughs> league home run that kid hit. Um, one of my favorite things is the little the little bio blurbs and the kids' uh, information that comes on the screen. Oh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. There's the one kid that said he looks at memes before his games to get loose. And uh, <laughs> my favorite was uh, Ben Diebler from Vermont. His little bio read, has a crush on his teacher. Sup, Mrs. Stevens. That was the best thing I've seen all week. So, the Little League World Series. This has been the Beyond the Game program. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Let us hear from you. You can stop by our website, btgprogram.com, or send us an email to hosts at btgprogram. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week, right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. Be bold.